0: Oh, it's time! It's time! It's hypertime to podcast!
1: Welcome everyone into the Hypertime. The Hyper Time to Podcast. I am your host, Josh Miller. And today, as always, I'm
0: joined by my co-host, the Podfather himself, Alan Muir. Alan, how are you doing today? Well, okay. So uh, about one a.m. Uh, this morning, I woke up, pitch black. Oh, that's right. You had a uh, power outage this morning. Yeah. Well, it wasn't there necessarily in the morning. It was in the middle of the night. Hmm. But I woke up at one, and I was just looking around in confusion, even though. I it was pitch black, I couldn't see anything. And I was supposed to record uh when today, today being the uh the twenty fourth of October. But I'm kinda glad because I'm gonna be hosting the next episode, which by the time this comes out will be a long while ago. <laughs> so So what was the urge to host it again? Um well there there have been some technical problems that I think I may have to reassume uh hosting duties. Uh so also I kind of kind of got the urge to host again. Got the itch. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm still trying to find my footing, but I'm much more comfortable now than I was, you know, when we started this. So I can kind of I can see your side of it wanting to do it again because I'm not sure I would, you know, I'm not really sure I'd want to hand this over to anyone. I kind of I like I kind of like being behind the wheel of the podcast.
0: Yeah, like this is your your baby. Win is my baby.
1: Mhm. So we got to nurture him.
0: Yeah, and I have no idea what it's like being a father, so <laughs> <laughs> all I do is I just throw money at the problem, hoping it goes away. Yeah, we got to throw money at the
1: at the children too, but usually doesn't make anything go away just it's like just throwing money into the wind. I feel like the Joker in the Batman '89 movie, where he's just throwing money up in the air at the parade. That's kind of Fatherhood right there. Diapers, wipes,
0: food, clothes—just never ends. Yeah, like when I was when I was a kid, like when I, by like when I was like five years old, my dad would give me money, and I would just in have. <laughs> Like, that that's what I would do when I was angry. And then just looking back, hindsight. Oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> See, our little swan is now at the point where he's.
1: So he has this Hulk toy that he loves to either cover in like Play-Doh or what he'll do is he'll run and grab Kleenex and tear it all up and then cover Hulk with it. He hasn't done it with money yet. And I'm kind of afraid he's going to. But we've gotten to the point where he loves putting money in his Batman piggy bank. So he'll just grab his coins, he'll run over to Batman, he'll pull it down, he'll put all the money in, you know, then he'll want to open the whole thing up and pour it all out and then do it all over again. So I feel okay that as long as he realizes it's money, it doesn't need to be torn up, it goes in a piggy bank. But yeah, Kleenex and toilet paper, again, money just being thrown everywhere because he's just tearing it all up and none of that. Just, uh Stop. <laughs> I had to put Kleenex up out of his reach, but then that's where he goes to get toilet paper because, you know, that's only in one place and it's never high up. So, but speaking of toilet paper, uh, we are doing a story today that uh, a lot of people think is kind of shitty.
0: I I, I agree with that. (laughs) You know, I have. Well, I agree with nine tenths of it. (laughs) Yes,
1: today we are going to discuss Avengers Disassembled, um, a story I had not read before. I had heard the reputation of it. Um, I kind of knew what would come out of it, but the story itself I had not read before. And I can kind of see where people are coming from with their dislike for it, because it seems like just a story purposely made to kind of wreck shop of everything that was happening in the Avengers world. Al, had you read this beforehand, or was this
0: your first time reading it as well? My, It was my first time reading it. I had known about it through iFanboy and Comic Pop. It's the, it's the infamous, not like this, <laughs> where a lot of characters die in this book. Yeah. And I think this is what Bendis was trying to do with Civil War 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think...
1: I think Bendis learned a lot of lessons from this story and we'll kind of touch on some of that later because most of what he learned from this was don't go in there thinking that you can just kind of mess, you know, with the the formula, right? Like these are characters, these are, you know, this is a team. These are characters that people are in love with. They don't want to see things get shaken up to the point that he did in this story Um, And even though he, in many ways, kind of brought Marvel very much success in the years that follow this, it's this was not the way that people would have assumed he would have come in and kind of started playing with the Avengers. (laughs) And so unless you have anything else to add, I think we could jump right into kind of how he
0: came aboard. Well, I do know that this was sort of also like similar to... Uh, his run on Superman was to change the status quo of the book. Yeah, I have not read that yet. And I don't think I've really heard much, if any, good things about that.
1: Uh, people, people <laughs> the fans do not like it. Yeah, and some of the stuff I have heard about it, I'm not particularly a fan of, especially when it comes to John. Yeah. And so at some point I will get to it, but I can't say I'm
0: really all that eager to start reading that. To be honest, though, Naomi. Is that the one after McDuffie? Yeah, it's the book that him and David F. Walker mm. co-wrote. And I don't know if that's coming back, though. Actually, I, to be honest, I don't know if how long, how much longer Bendis is going to be at DC.
1: Yeah, they kind of made a big deal of it when he did, but I don't think he quite took off the way that I think
0: DC was hoping for him, too. Possibly that, and with where they're at right now financially. Yeah, I'm really worried about how their future
1: looks right now. But before he got into DC, uh, he was doing the Marvel stuff. And so let's go ahead and talk about kind of how he got involved with Avengers here. You know, even though he had a very long and kind of storied run on Avengers, um, that's not actually where he made his name. You know, he had done stuff kind of prior to Marvel but he kind of started making a name for himself on the Marvel scene with his run on Daredevil. And he also ended up, you know, as everyone knows, he launched the Ultimate Marvel Comics and the much beloved Ultimate Spider-Man story, which
0: I was a fan of as well. And I think at some point we'll probably get to Ultimate Spider-Man. I know that, well, I mean, I know that Bendis wasn't involved with the Ultimate Universe creation. I thought I also thought that was partially all as well like attributed to uh, Bill Jemis. Oh, I don't know. I haven't really looked
1: too much into it. I just know that I feel like Bendis is kind of like the one who's seen as having made it succeed in a way. Like I uh, feel
0: like X-Men was never really, yeah, he's supposed to write like every single ultimate line book. yeah, that would have been crazy for him to take <laughs> that much work on.
1: So yeah, after all the Ultimate stuff, um, in 2004, he was tasked with taking on a team book, which was something he was not entirely crazy about doing. It wasn't just any team book. It was like the big team book. It was the Avengers. And that was partially because the Avengers comic was not doing all that wonderful at the time. And so they wanted to try and shake it up a little bit. And so Joe Quesada had basically brought people on board, like Marvel's first retreat um, at the end of 2003 to clean up characters, uh, define who they would be, try and get a plan in place for what the future of Marvel would end up looking like. And so when they finally brought up the Avengers, it basically came down to Brian Bendis and Mark... Is it Miller? Miller? Like, I feel like that's a name that I'm always mispronouncing just because...
0: (laughs) Oh, I... Uh, I, one I, I, I'm also one who mispronounces like sometimes this, sometimes people say Miller sometimes people say Millar. I'm going to try to say Millar. If I'm wrong I am
1: very sorry about that but so yeah Mark Millar and Brian Bendis uh, were the two that kind of rose a stink between all the creators that were on this retreat. So what they were doing were comparing the Avengers to what DC was doing at the time and had been doing since Grant Morrison was on the book back in, you know, since 1996. And they were wondering why Marvel wasn't doing, you know, the Avengers is supposed to be the big team in the Marvel universe. So why, why wasn't Spider-Man on the team? Why wasn't Wolverine on the team? Why wasn't this like the actual earth's mightiest heroes? Why was Jack of hearts on there instead? And so, you know, Brian and Mark were kind of, going back and forth about how we need to do what DC is doing. We need to have all the biggest names on this team. And that did not exactly go over well with everyone else. And one of the selling points that Mark had was that when growing up, he didn't have to buy, you know, all the Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman books separately, because if he just picked up one issue, it could be Justice League and he would get all of these different heroes for one price in one book, and it would satisfy all those needs of all these characters. And so he was trying to sell that for the Avengers as well. And so during all this, uh, Joe Quesada and then executive vice president of Marvel, Bill Jemis, who, you know, they thought that this was a great idea. But Bendis actually came close to not writing the book, but after thinking on it a lot and knowing it was either going to be him or Mark writing it, he ultimately reached out to Joe to take the bull by the horns and request to write the Avengers himself. And, you know, Joe had kind of been going back and forth with, you know, between the two of them. And he ultimately, you know, decided that Brent, oh my God, that Brian would be the one writing the book and kind of had made that choice prior to Bendis even asking. So the original idea was to have Mark Millar write the book. But after speaking with David Bogart, who is the managing editor, and very close friends with Mark, learned that Mark had a lot of reservations about writing the book and wasn't really all that interested and would more than likely not willingly write the book himself. So Joe still wanted Mark. You know, obviously Mark's a big name. So he still decided to ask him if he could write the book. And Millar was willing to give you know it a shot until Joe mentioned that Brian Bendis was also thinking about writing the book. And at that point, Mark was like, no, you know what? He would be a great fit. Let Brian do it. And so at that point, Joe had already decided before Brian even knew he was going to get the book. And so Bendis, on the other hand, would be speaking up with Tom Brevoort, um, someone who was very against the whole Bendis-Mallar shakeup idea about how to breathe life into Avengers. And it would start at issue 500. and when Brian kind of started laying out all of his ideas, that's when Tom kind of got a little more comfortable with the idea. And so the idea came up as to how were they going to tackle it? And Brian had the brilliant idea to go the summer blockbuster route by blowing it all up. That this was the approach that all the fans would want to see the big, you know, think about all the Marvel movies right now and how action packed they are. And in his mind, that's kind of what everyone wanted in the comics too. And clearly that was not the case. <laughs> so he wanted the Avengers to have a moment where something bad happens to create something new and beautiful. In his words, it, he wanted a dark night moment. Uh, he also didn't really like some of the cast of characters at the time. And that was part of the discussion at the retreat as well. Um, kind of, you know, why was Jack of Hearts on the team as opposed to Spider-Man, that type of thing. And so he had this idea in mind, and he wanted to basically wipe out this era of the Avengers and start fresh. When it came to like, who the team was going to be, he had already worked with David Finch on Ultimate X-Men. And Finch was the one that came to mind when it came to writing another team book. Finch had helped him get the team book in a functional way. Bendis was not comfortable with writing team books and he felt Finch's inclusion helped him in doing that. And Finch was good at illustrating what Bendis had in mind, typically when he was writing his stories. So he thought Finch would be a great idea to do another team book with him. And when they reached out to Finch, he basically said as long as he could do Captain America, he would be involved. And so it was that simple. And Finch was on board as the artist. And so the, uh, You know, as we mentioned, there was a lot of deaths in the story. And that kind of came about when Bendis had asked to be given a list of uh, casualty candidates. And he was surprised to see characters like Hawkeye and Vision on that list. And he was given a warning by Ed Brubaker in particular that he said that if you killed Hawkeye, the fans would put a bullseye on you and would absolutely go after you for it. And all that did was convince Bendis that he wanted to do this even more. So in his mind, Hawkeye was a for sure person he was going to kill off in this story. And as Brubaker thought, he was absolutely right. And we'll get to that a little bit later. And, you know, Joe Quesada actually warned him about killing certain people, too. Um, And he specifically brought up George Perez because George, although he hasn't written it for, you know, written Avengers in a long time, he still really loves those characters and I guess there were some characters that George very much cares about and would be very upset if they were to kill. And so Bendis was reminded that if you kill a character that's someone else's babies, you got to remember that there are characters that you care about that someone else might want to kill, too. And so the idea is that like very respectable if you plan on killing somebody to at least reach out to the person who created them or basically define that character and check with them first to see if they would be okay with allowing that character to be killed. And so while I was researching this, there's a just a funny little interview part between, you know, while Brian Michael Bendis and Joe Quesada were being interviewed about killing characters. And so Brian Michael Bendis during this interview says, usually when a creator comes in and says, I want to kill this character, I do that about every three days to Joe. He's stopping answering my calls, and Joe's like, "No, I don't." What do I always say? Brown's like, "You said that if I kill a character that I ask for, Chuck Austin will kill Jessica Jones," (laughs) and Joe is like, "Damn right." (laughs) So I got a kick out of that. I had to put that
0: in here because I got a good
1: good laugh out of that.
0: Oh man, I needed that laugh.
1: (laughs) And so that's kind of all I have that of everything leading up to. Um, but before we get into the story, is there anything else You want to add? Um,
0: no, not really Okay,
1: then with that, let's get into the Story of Avengers Disassembled
0: row, to shout, on, central, the day,
1: the So the first issue of Avengers Disassembled Kind of solidifies this idea that Brian had in mind that he wanted to do the worst day in Avengers history. And this is something multiple characters throughout this arc would mention, um, including Reed Richards and Hawkeye. And the first issue saw this all begin. It saw the Avengers under threat by pretty much everyone that they would have thought or would not have thought would be coming after them. Specifically, it starts with Jack of Hearts who had already been killed when he was uh, saving Ant-Man's daughter. And he is found walking up to the Avengers mansion. And when Scott goes out there to, you know, this is a dead man walking up to the mansion, basically a zombie. And so he's running out there trying to figure out what's going on.
0: And then boom, just explodes. Yeah. And he says, before he explodes, killing uh, Scott Lang, just says, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I don't have everything on me at the moment with the comic. Um, So if there's something that... I don't know if you have it on you, but if there's something you want to bring up that I don't (laughs) have noted down, please do it. I'm just kind of jumping around this first issue quite a bit. Uh, There's also a scene with Tony Stark at the UN conference. And as he's speaking, he comes off very drunk, which is something he has kind of... I mean, at this point, I think he had already kind of become sober in the comics. I could be wrong. I'm not a huge Iron Man guy. Yeah, you are. <laughs> but yeah, so he is coming off as drunk during this conference, you know, and he's making threats and everything, um, including killing the representative of Latvia in front of all of these world leaders. And, you know, he goes backstage and, you know, the other Avengers that are there are kind of like, what are you doing? And it comes to Tony's head that he's acting like a drunk, but he hadn't drank anything. And, you know, it ends up leading to Tony being asked to relinquish his position as Secretary of Defense for the U.S. And so here, you know, that's kind of this other subsection of the Avengers' worst day. Um, And then as, you know, after the explosion at the mansion, everyone's kind of investigating, trying to figure out what's going on. And then here comes the Quinjet flying straight at the mansion. And Captain America notices that it's Vision flying the Quinjet. And, you know, there some of the other Avengers there are the Wasp, um, Captain America,
0: Hawkeye, Falcon, Captain Britain, and She Hulk. And they're and, like, and they initially think, oh, thank God, someone's he's coming to help. <laughs> yeah. And then it just becomes, nope, things are going to get worse.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. Vision crashes the Quinjet into the mansion remains um, and Vision steps out and melts after pelting some Ultron robots down. And this is this scene in particular is something Bendis had wanted to write and he brought up during the retreat. A quote from him on this is, I remember on that day saying to Nick Lowe that a Quinjet sticking out of the mansion is about one of the most horrifying things for the team to see. What would that mean to Avengers who were, say, coming home to the mansion? Then from there, She Hulk kind of goes into a rage in a way I've never seen her. And she tears the vision in two, blaming him for the death of Scott Lang, and then starts attacking the remaining Avengers. And I don't know if this is just a David Finch thing or if this is something that's actually happened with She Hulk before, but she gets, she starts turning, she starts looking more like the Hulk than She Hulk. Like, the way she's bulking up and everything, even her face starts turning more kind of hulkish. I don't know how familiar you are with the character, but I've never seen her quite this, I guess, roided up in a way.
0: Yeah, it's a little uncharacteristic.
1: Yeah. So, you know, she's going to town, kind of wrecking everything up.
0: And uh, I just want to mention. Sure. The only notion you're given that Scott is dead, aside from an explosion, his... Uh, the skeletal hand in the uh, rubble.
1: <laughs> yeah. There was something I had seen in one of the interviews where they were talking about why, you know, how big is his hand since, you know, this is Ant Man and he can change in size. And so someone had brought up to him whether or not this was actually a giant hand or if this was
0: like a very tiny hand. <laughs> and I just want to read out what Tony says to the Ludvarian representative. Sure. Uh, how do you have the nerve to sit, sit there? I thought these seats were for human beings. <laughs> I mean, how many times do we, as a world, have to put up with your crap, you piece of garbage, you rat fink? You know what a rat fink is, Pally? You should. very invented them. Look up <laughs> in the dictionary. You'll see your face, or the piece, or the face of your puppet master, or whatever evil blank or expletive is pulling your strings this week. He's uh, he nearly kills the man. <laughs> And we actually get a shot of Black Panther basically telling Tony to just calm down and T'Challa gets in between Tony and the Ledvarian representative. And I mean, I won't, I won't mention the character who is key to all this, but back at the uh, mansion, the only character who's who seems to be hurt or is being considered hurt is uh, Jarvis. Mm-hmm. And Hawkeye mentioned, it's like when the Quinjet is first comes into view. Hawkeye initially goes. The whole th- the whole team's been called in, and then they get it's. It it really is, it really feels like a summer blockbuster. In terms of how cheesy the writing is, <laughs> and I don't know about you, but when I read it, I read it in uh, Paul Benney's accent, or at least a a, a generic British British accent. Which part of it? Um, Avengers, I I bid you tidings in this. And that's <laughs> our darkest hour. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I always picture him now. And even vision says that I cannot explain to you in terms that any of you would understand why and how this has happened to us. And yeah, he just, it has face melts and the color palette in the background goes from normal to everything around them is burning obviously because it is. And I really don't like Dave Finch's art. So <laughs> I'm usually the opposite. I, I typically like
1: his art for the most part. Some of his faces are pretty, you know, static and don't really have a lot of expression to them. But, uh, I don't know, I'm just kind of a sucker for, like, big muscles and, you know, the David Finch, the Jim Lees, the, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Fabic? Oh, Faybach. Uh, Faybach, yeah. Yeah, just kind of, that, like, very good muscular
0: <laughs> character. Thing. I, I kind of a... Uh, I have a weakness to that kind of stuff. Uh, this is unrelated, but is Ivan Ivan Reese still still drawing comics? Uh, I don't know. The last time I saw, I mean, I'm not very current with
1: anything. I mean, last time I saw him was like on Bendis' Superman
0: run, or at least part of it. Okay, so back to where we were before I so rudely interrupted. <laughs> You're fine. So yeah, She Hulk's kind
1: of going on a rampage. Iron Man shows up. Um, after she smashes a car on Captain America, which sends him to the hospital, uh, you know she swats a miniaturized wasp and knocks out Captain Britain. And Iron Man is able to knock her out, but the injuries are pretty severe to all the other Avengers, including the wasp who, for whatever reason, isn't able to revert back to normal size like she normally would. Basically everything that's happening from Tony acting drunk to... You know all these heroes trying to kill other heroes, um all of at least to friction within the team. Tony's history of alcohol abuse causes Hank Pym and Clint Martin Hawkeye to doubt Tony's sobriety when he proposes the idea that everything is connected, which just pisses Tony off because, you know he's being honest. He's not drinking. He doesn't know what's going on, but nobody believes him because of his history. So he just splits
0: I the event. say that- uh, sorry to interrupt again oh you're good there's a part or a little bit of the of the first issue where things fade to black and there's uh four word balloons is it over no there's more much more oh uh, yeah kind of the the and hinting of who who could be behind there, it there are many and they have much answer for we should just kill them and be done with it and what would that prove? There's no meaning that way. You're so stupid. And when I when I read this earlier, I was wondering who those whose characters were. And then line, you're so stupid, paid off, which I actually kind of I'll give Bendis credit for that.
1: Yeah, it's basically the only time you kind of get a hint that's something of like who is behind everything up until the actual reveal. And if you know kind of all the characters at play here, it makes sense
0: as to and the history.
1: Yeah. So yeah, after Tony leaves, the Avengers then get a call from the mansion, and when they arrive, they're greeted with a huge turnout of heroes from Nick Fury to Namor, Fantastic Four, Moon Knight, and so many more. Um, Wonder Man. Wonder Man. (laughs) So this is uh, apparently code white of the attacks, and so anyone who had previously been an Avenger is called on to show up. This is the uh, kind of what Clint Barton was mentioning before about you know the Avengers and everyone being yeah, like
0: the, the whole the whole team's been called then.
1: Yep. So despite everything going on, um Nick Fury just kind of asks everyone to leave. <laughs> he doesn't want the scene to be contaminated and he wants time to kind of look everything over. And as they're doing this, suddenly all these Cree aircrafts start showing up overhead and you know nick is trying to find out why the hell carrier didn't warn them ahead of time that all these ships were coming in and the hell carrier ain't they're not able to see any of this they're not sure what's going on and meanwhile the city's just being blasted from all these ships so cap is able to get one of the kree defeats one of the kree as the ground forces come on and he starts interrogating them who says that the supreme intelligence claims today is the end of the avengers And then more troops, you know, are teleported to the ground. And during this battle, Hawkeye is injured and goes to extreme measures to take out the Kree in a fashion that only he seems to approve of. And so he uses a jetpack from a nearby Kree, flies into the thrusters of the main ship, causing it to explode and kills himself.
0: Not like this. (laughs) Not like this, please. Which, oh boy, did... Then just get some hate. Hate for this. I don't get First this, then what he did. How he just as character assassinated Clint in Civil War Two. <laughs> I don't even remember Civil War Two. You're 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 a very lucky, man. <laughs> I read it. Don't remember anything about it.
1: Did like Thanos start that story?
0: Ah, uh, the story. It started free. Uh, um, Free Comic Book Day twenty fifteen sixteen, and it. Began The Free Comic Day issue began with Thanos showing back up, killing Rhodey, critically wounding She-Hulk, and the whole thing was, for the first and second issues were, oh my god, oh my god, what's going to happen when when Tony shows up? <laughs> There's a line in the story that sort of reestablished something that shouldn't have been re- reestablished, and that's the whole abuse between Hank and Jenna Pym. Yeah, where Tony says to uh, Hank don't you have a wife to to go beat and then that it just seems that every single part Hank has in anything comics related has to involve either abuse towards Janet Uh, I'm forgetting what the character was that was basically the where, where they basically got the redemption arc sort of actually no it wasn't sort of it was a full on redemption it was a I think it was a it, I think it was an LMD that had all the memories and the personality basically of, or the consciousness of Janet. And he was working, like going, doing basically th- like therapy with it. Weird. It it was actually, it was a really good way of rehabbing the character.
1: Huh. Yeah. So I've never really been crazy about the, the whole LMD thing in Marvel, but maybe it's because I haven't really seen too much of it. That's really wowed me as opposed, you know. It seems every time I would see it come up, it was like, "Oh nope, it wasn't that character." Don't worry, it was an LMD. That explains the you know mischaracterization or whatever. So it always felt like a cheap way to explain away characters dying. Or
0: (laughs) I mean, there is a character in this story that is an LMD basically the entire time. Not not gonna say who, but (laughs) (laughs) boy, did that character not expect it. (laughs) So now back to the story.
1: So since we've kind of talked about abuse, uh, Dr. Strange shows up and he mentions that there are magics also being abused at the moment. And as they're kind of discussing everything, it kind of dawns on everybody what's happening. And they kind of come to the conclusion that the Scarlet Witch could be the one behind all of this. They don't really know why, but their understanding of what her powers are kind of is the thing that's putting everything together in a way. The way that everyone seems to understand it is that her powers are chaotic magic that has the ability to bend reality to her will, even if she's not actively attempting to do this. And that's how Dr. Strange kind of explains it. And the reason they think this could be happening is because apparently in her past, there was uh, an attempt by her to find happiness by having two children. And she did this by bringing them into the world, using her magic. And Agatha Harkness is the one who was not going to allow her to have this happiness, who didn't find that it was right for her to do this. And so she erased those children and erased the memory of them, too, from Scarlet Witch. And we start seeing flashbacks here uh, where Wanda is hearing other characters mentioning these children. And she has no idea what they're talking about. And so we see her going up to Agatha and forces Agatha basically to tell her what is going on. And all that is kind of done off panel. But yeah, it seems that Agatha kind of comes clean about all that. And so after this discussion with Doctor Strange and kind of where Scarlet Witch is currently at, the Avengers all show up to meet Wanda, who is now in front of her family, including two children. Vision and Agatha, and Cap kind of goes in by himself, thinking that he can keep everything normal (laughs) as normal as everything can be with everything that's going on. Oh, I forgot to mention with the Kree, they just all kind of go away. (laughs) Yeah, they just jump the light speed for hyperspace after the explosion. Yeah, they just call and all, all head out, which is when you know, Doctor Strange and everybody. Has their conversation.
0: Yeah, I will say as soon as Dr. Strange showed up, I was fine. <laughs> Everything before that? No, I just hated it. <laughs> so yeah, Cap Gro goes in to talk to Wanda, um,
1: he tries to get through to her for help, but she kind of starts realizing what is going on. And so she summons a Red Skull character with troops and blasts him through the window with gunfire. That's where we see the Avengers waiting outside as Wanda kind of heads out and greets them all and tells them that they're not going to take the kids away from her. And so she summons just a huge kind of army to help fight for her. Um, That includes characters like Rogue
0: and Hulk, Ultron, and (laughs) quite a few more. Okay, so can I just say something? Sure. When I was reading this, I... uh... Like when Miss Marvel went to go, she she was the first one to react, right? To like when a uh, cab gets. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she was. She immediately flies to uh, intercept and you just see like the glove. And I thought I didn't know that Wanda did this. I thought it was just because, you know, Rogue and Carol Danvers have beef. Yeah, this whole
1: scene here kind of took me a second to try and figure out who...
0: Was on was whose it. side?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I kept I, flipping, when, flipping back and forth to see like, okay, who was on this page before everybody started fighting? And when I saw Hulk, I was like, oh, I didn't even know Bruce was there. Same. <laughs> I was the exact same thing. I'm like, who is he punching? Okay. This character, was this character part of the team? Who, who is this?
0: Uh, The best way I've heard um, someone boil down Marvel continuity or compare it between DC and Marvel DC. Everything is always, it has always been changing in one way or another since 1986. Yep. And with Marvel, it's no, everything's been ever, ever since 1962. It's been one fluid universe. Mm-hmm. And as I've said, there's a reason I'm more of a I'm more of a DC guy. It's much easier to understand what's going on because there's, you don't have to go through decades and decades of just backstory and lore.
1: Yeah, I think Marvel and DC are, like, two ends of the of the spectrum. Like, Marvel is afraid to change anything too much, and DC is kind of more willy-nilly with what they're willing to change. And so, you know, on one end, you have decades and decades of continuity that you're trying to kind of keep in one piece, and DC is one who's just kind of constantly changing, like, what is continuity or... You know, this is continuity, but in this universe and we may go into this universe for a little bit before we come back into this, you know. And so it's like, do you want to try and force a, you know, a round peg in a square hole with Marvel by, you know, trying to make everything work in one piece? Or are you willing to go with DC and kind of your, I guess, more flexibility and what I think a lot of people consider. I don't really have a problem with it, but many people do. (laughs) especially when DC doesn't
0: really hold up to sticking with a continuity for too long. Uh, yeah, I mean, by the time this, this goes up, uh, future, future state will be in effect, <laughs> which is them. I mean, technically it's 5G, but...
1: Yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I got out like right after New 52 started and I look into it every once in a while to kind of see like, you know, what's going on exactly? What's the big stuff going on? And I, I am lost. I'm like, okay, there was Rebirth, and then there was Doomsday Clock. I don't know if that changed everything. And then there was Convergence. I don't know if that's, (laughs) you know, that has everybody. I don't know if they're bringing back certain things from all these other continuities. And
0: Well, Convergence was basically the the main books getting put on hold for two months while DC moved out and got set up in Burbank. Uh, And that was also during New 52, but also sort of transitioning into dcu dcyou yeah like i read convergence but i never actually saw the earth 2 world's end
1: earth 2 world's end i saw but i didn't see anything after that basically i saw like some of the events but nothing that followed it so i don't know like what changes actually came from them
0: the only ones that were like out of the thirty some odd i think that were uh put out only two were or ended up being canon And that was the Titans book and the Superman and Lois book Mm, mm -hmm. for obvious reasons. Yeah, as a Superman fan, that didn't get confusing whatsoever. (laughs) Well, have you have you ever read uh, Superman and Lois, the book by uh, Dan Juergens and I want to say Patrick Weeks?
1: Yeah, I read that. I read, you know, most of Peter Tomasi's run. You know, after all that with Rebirth, uh, most of Jurgen's run after that, basically right up to where they I mean, it was called what Superman Rebirth, I think when they kind of like combined everything.
0: Oh, you mean, where they merged uh, new 52 Superman and Rebirth Superman. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was about that point in which I had like
1: is like my most up to date Superman stuff. So, yeah, hearing people talk about Superman is like, he was in New 52, but then the old one came back, and then they merged. And I'm, okay, okay, I'm just going to sit back, and at some point I'll get to reading all this together.
0: Yeah, and then, like, everything was great. Superman and Lois, or Clark and Lois, were married, and then they divorced, sort of, because you can't have our temple character be held down. So dumb. So, dumb. <sighs> so now, back to the story. So from here, Doctor Strange
1: shows up, uh, just in time to bring Wanda down. But the way he takes her down is in a way that could affect her long-term. She's not dead, but Dr. Strange says that she's gone. Sounds almost more, I don't even know if catatonic would be the right way to describe it, because she still, you know, she does interact with characters later on, but she doesn't seem to have the right mindset afterwards. Um but yeah, after this, Magneto shows up as they're all wondering what to do with her and Magneto just flies off with her claiming that Xavier was right and that he had failed her and then kind of leaps ahead uh, months later and we're seeing a get-together of all these heroes at the ruined mansion and they're all remembering their fallen com- comrades um, from the attacks and during this time, Iron Man comes clean and says he's not going to fund the Avengers anymore and. Really briefly, uh, Quicksilver shows up and informs them that Xavier is working with Wanda to repair her mind. You know, they're trying to figure out where they're located at because they can't seem to locate her anymore. And all he says is that she's out of the country and then leaves after issuing an apology. And then there's, you know, a bunch of pages kind of as they're all reminiscing about all their times as the Avengers and all their favorite moments of this. And it was just Bendis' nice way of putting like a l- nice little bow on that era of the Avengers before he gets into the mighty Avengers and new Avengers and all of that stuff that would come out of this. But that is the story of Avengers Assembled. And yeah, it was definitely action packed as someone who is not an Avengers fan. I can't say it really made me care about them at all, especially since he, you know, from the looks of it, he didn't really seem to care all that much about them either, even though according to him, he is a huge Avengers fan, but yeah, There was like no care taken with any of them. It was just he wrecked shop. And that was something that a lot of fans did not like and did not appreciate. And I think he took that to heart. And sadly, some of that probably came from death threats and everything that would come against him. But yeah, I think he realized after seeing the reaction that he went about this the wrong way. And I think he would take that to heart in later stories he was writing. But before we kind of get in like to the deep reaction and all that and kind of what Avengers Disassembled kind of left in its its wake, uh, is there anything you want to talk about the story in particular?
0: Um, Okay, so my first real introduction to Marvel Comics was Avengers versus X-Men back when I worked at a comic book store.
1: That was with the Phoenix Force coming to Earth, right?
0: Yeah. And there was all this fervor with um, Wanda and I had no idea what was going on. And then when I started reading more later on, like a couple of years ago, I, keep, I kept seeing House of M, House of M, House of M. Like, what, what is this? <laughs> and then just checked. Oh, oh, dear. Yeah, House of M was kind of like the ball that kind of got. Well,
1: Avengers Disassembled is what got the ball rolling. But House of M was like the first real big slope. Of where Marvel would. Where their future would end up going. Because House of M is kind of where everything. Started taking off. You know from. Well you know I'll, I'll hold off on House of M. <laughs> for re- for reasons I'll discuss here in a little bit.
0: So sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, as I mentioned before. I preferred everything after. Or from the appearance of Doctor Strange. To the end. And I just did not like Dave Finch's art. I'll hmm. say that again. I'll, I'll say that as many times as I need to.
1: Yeah, I think the general reaction, as we say, it was not very positive. Bendis had, you know, of course, I think all writers kind of receive criticism with their writings, whether it's legitimate criticism or just people complaining just to complain. But this was like Bendis' first real introduction to how angry a fan base could be. He learned that not everyone would not only enjoy what he did, but not be happy with how he was going about writing the books. You know, some people would enjoy Avengers for what it was. And then, you know, in his, in his idea, you know, here comes this newbie onto the book and wrecks everything immediately, thinking people would like it, which isn't the case. Um, he actually has a quote that I found that kind of explains how he pictures everyone's reaction being. And I think this is something that a fan had told him at a con one year. He says basically, I'd come onto a book that wasn't my book and I blew it all up. It was nothing different than walking onto a playground going over to some Tinker Toy set and kicking it. I thought I was being awesome. I thought, here's some awesome book I'd like to read. But if you were enjoying the book the way it was, it was upsetting. And so, as we all know, with there are certain fans who kind of take things way too far. And some of these would reach out to Bendis during this time, issuing death threats. Um, it was something that was very common for Bendis to receive, even you know up until writing House of M., a year later and you know some of the some of the criticisms he was receiving he wasn't really going to take too much to heart um one example he said was that people would bash his writing style for the avengers more specifically the kind of conversational approach he would do with dialogue but he wanted to make it feel more natural as opposed to how some characters can be written in a more rote sort of i need to get the plot moving sort of way You know, and this writing would also lead to another criticism in how the Avengers would argue with one another. But this was also something Ben just kind of, you know, brushes aside because Hawkeye was, I don't want to talk like I know because I don't. But apparently Hawkeye is not one to shy away from butting heads with other characters, especially Captain America. And then he assumed that when you add in all the stress that's happening with the story it would make these characters to be even more on edge and more likely to kind of go at each other in the way that they were doing. But then there was of course, criticisms towards characters like Hawkeye and Ant-Man and Vision all being murdered the way they were. And some people, which Bendis thought was kind of funny was criticizing killing Jack of Hearts, even though he likes to point out that Jack of Hearts was technically already dead (laughs) and that he was just brought back as a zombie just to kill ant-man and when they had kind of written everything up one person that they went to ask kind of his impressions on the story and get his general reaction was was stan lee and despite all this all the fans hating it stan lee was very much okay with what was going on according to stan lee it was exciting it kept the books interesting regardless of how things change even if it's possibly for the worst the likelihood is that you will come back for more if you're already invested in the characters. And, you know, Avengers Disassembled was very much hated, but it sold so incredibly well. This was like the beginning of the Avengers takeoff into being the successful book that it was. And so people can complain all they want about how much Avengers Disassembled sucks, but this helped build Marvel to be as successful as it was in the 2000s. Up until, I don't know if they're still successful today, comic book wise, but for a long time they were very successful. And it all started with Avengers Disassembled and Brian Bendis. But even with all that, it did have kind of this legacy behind it. So while some people turned around on Avengers Disassembled after seeing it through the end and kind of have an idea of where it would lead in the future, much of the backlash is kind of what the legacy of this book is. And some of that comes from the continuity issues that would arise from it. You know, some is not very important. For example, there are art issues like Captain Britain not being in costume one panel and then the following panel she is. You know, it's it's not really worth calling the book crap just because of a little art mistake like that. Um, but two that I saw keep coming up were first the idea of the chaos magic that Doctor Strange had noticed and claims didn't exist. Apparently, Doctor Strange has not only claimed that chaos magic has existed in the past, he has actually used chaos magic in the past. And so for him to then come into the story and claim that it doesn't actually exist contradicts with all these stories in which it very much does. And he, of all people, should know that. And then the other one is the idea that in this story, all this happens because Wanda becomes aware that her children were taken from her. But Wanda, I guess, already knew that coming into the story. This was something that took place after Avengers West Coast and its annual. And so there's really no reason Wanda should have done all this because it's not news to her. This is something that she would have already been made aware of. And I would assume have already come to terms with. So those were at least two that I found. I'm sure people who are bigger fans will know of more. So other writers apparently were not fond of Avengers Disassembled either and would kind of have their own input on it with later stories. Uh, So, for example, characters like Vision, Ant-Man would end up coming back. Ant-Man would come back during the Children's Crusade story involving time travel. And then in Fear Itself, Tony would rebuild Vision. And then some other storylines that tried to fix the problems were stories like Axis Michael Straczynski's Amazing Spider-Man run, Marquee of Death by Mark Millar, and Fantastic Four um, were just a few that I saw noted as kind of trying to change the outcome of Avengers Disassembled a bit. Yeah, you know, aside from all of that, Avengers Disassembled was very much the beginning of what would later come in Marvel Universe for years. It was the first domino that was pushed over to create the new line of Avengers books. It started House of War, House of War, House of M. Um, It would lead a civil war, it would lead a secret invasion. Avengers versus X-Men. You know, the idea that Scarlet Witch would be such a major player for years in Marvel Universe all started with this story. And so it is such an important historic moment for Marvel just because so much of their following years hinged on this story. So whether you liked it, whether you didn't like it, it's impossible to claim otherwise that this story did not have a major impact on the Marvel Universe. Is there anything else you would like to
0: add to this, Alan? Uh, No, you have done a fantastic job of wrapping this up. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, as I mentioned, we,
1: you know, a lot of kind of what comes out of this leads into house of M and we could talk about that. And the thing is we will, uh, that as actually going to be the topic for our next episode, as we delve into house of M kind of the events that play out through that and that story and how big of an impact that has on things that come out of that. So yeah, hopefully that's something you would be interested in hearing because that will be our following episode. In fact, when I started, Uh, Doing this, Avengers Disassembled was not going to be an episode, but House of M was becoming so big that I felt I needed to branch this out as its own separate thing. So yeah, I was able to get two episodes out of one original plan, which is good because I feel like we haven't had a ton of Marvel stuff so far. Back to back Marvel stories. I know we have some more waiting for us here in the future. So with that, I will get into our outro. Please, please rate and review wherever you listen to these podcasts on. Um, That helps us in multiple ways. And if you leave any comments, I will read those. I will take all that to heart and try and improve the show however I can. So please leave reviews and any criticism you can so we can get better. Don't forget that we do have a Twitter HyperTimePod that you can follow us on. And if you have any questions, any topic suggestions, anything you would like us to talk about, send us a message. Drop something on the on the Twitter. Um, or you can email us at hypertime, the number two podcast at gmail.com. And then if you not only like comics, but you also like video games, we have stuff for you as well there on the site vgu.tv. So you can check out any written articles there. But we also have... Podcasts. You can listen to the Players Club podcast, in which Emmett and Alan are on there weekly. I hate to mention it now because just because of the time delay between when this <laughs> drops and when everything's being done, but Emmett's putting effort to getting like more guests on the show, right? Yeah, yeah. Because the one I just heard had oh my god, she she changed her Twitter name recently. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. It's uh, Jessica who does like pace magazine and uppercut yeah yeah so i'm assuming you're going to continue to have guests you know up until this podcast drops uh but there's also the win podcast where is the weekend news where alan Graydon, and raul all discuss we discussed it
0: we discussed (laughs) the weekend news the weekend rumors and look back on and hold the game
1: you know sometimes i miss being on that show
0: yeah, every week, every week is is a new level of insanity. <laughs> I miss the trips to the windmill. That's for sure.
1: But yeah, we have podcasts. You can also go to our YouTube as well. Um, it's just VGU.TV, right? Yeah, I think I'm subscribed to two different VGUs or not? No, no, <laughs> or maybe no it, it's LHG.
0: It, it's uh, VGU TV.
1: VGU TV. Is there anything on there you want to? Well, again, I guess the time delay will kind of mess that up, but yeah, go check out stuff on there as well. Um, subscribe, watch them. We are trying to find all sorts of entertainment for you all, so hopefully we can give you something. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is j m i l l e nine nine. Alan, is there any place you would like to have them
0: reach out to you at? Yeah, you can find me. They can find me on Twitter at the Amir. Uh because I do this every episode, it's time for the tweet of the bye week Tweet of the week. <laughs> uh, nothing says I love you like a spatula. Spatula City! <laughs> I really hope people understand that reference.
1: <laughs> all right. That's it. That's all I have. Anything else you want to mention before we head out of here? Uh, no. Okay. Well, with that, I will bid everyone adieu, and we will see you further down the hyper time. Take care. Bye.
0: This has been a VGU.TV production. For all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.